Hi everyone, welcome to Psychedelic Conversations. This is your hub for engaging in deep conversations around serotonergic hallucinogens that alter perceptions, affect cognitive processes, induce mystical and spiritual experiences. Enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Psychedelic Conversations podcast. This is your hub for engaging in deep subjects around psychedelics and their effects on our cognitive processes and the way they induce mystical and spiritual experiences. So today I have with us Derek Juniski. I hope I said that correctly. Derek, welcome. Uh, great to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. So the, uh, Derek is the founder of the Pachamama Sanctuary. Uh, he's from the U.S. and he has a very long field experiences with experience with the psychedelic, um, working with psychedelics and their healing effects. So we're going to go deep into that conversation with um, his journey and also his background, um, a little bit of his background in how he crossed paths with his. Uh, medicines and how he now became a facilitator also for other people uh, on the same path. So Derek, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and then um, we can take on from there. Great. So, I mean, I, I like to kind of start from the beginning, usually when I tell my story and where it started was when I was a kid, I was abused a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, from physically to mentally, emotionally, sexually. And I was, un I was under a tremendous amount of abuse as a, as a kid. Uh, I lived in neighborhoods where I was the only white kid, so I would get beat up all the time. And uh, that was in, uh, so up until third or fourth grade, up until fourth grade, I was in Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, only white kid in my school. That's not true. There was one other one. So I was one of two white kids in my school. Um, you know, I was, you know, my babysitters were, were sexually abusing me. My mom was hurting me a lot. You know, um, she broke a couple of bones, um, you know, wooden spoons over me, all that kind of stuff. Then uh, moved to Florida where, again, I was the only white kid in another in, in, in neighborhood. I was in Jacksonville, Florida, a really tough part of Jacksonville, Florida. Or again, I was getting beat up. And again, my mom was still, she's a, she's an alcoholic, still is. And, um, you know, and she would get me babysitters that again, I was being molested by my babysitters again. Um, and so uh, came back to Massachusetts for high school, which was relatively normal, except uh, my dad really wasn't around a lot because he worked a ton. Uh, didn't really get along with the kids here. Uh, either because I, I just, I guess I was just trained to not really get along with the people around me or they weren't my tribe. I don't know. Uh, so 
made a pit stop in college where I learned to drink. And uh, that was a one year, that was a one year thing. And uh, until I flunked out and went back to Florida, moved back in with my mom because I didn't really connect the dots that that's where all the abuse, the abuse was coming from. So I uh, got married, had three kids. And then uh, at that point, like I, I was doing really well in life. I owned 12 houses. I was, um, I was, I was doing really well according to all the metrics and money and, you know, a house and a family and, you know, all of these things. Uh, but uh, all of a sudden something grabbed me and it was uh, like, like this obsessive compulsive behavior. It started with work and it, it, it bled into video games and poker and gambling. Um, and that created separation in my marriage, which ended up uh, in divorce and a couple of days after I moved into my new place, out, you know, separating from my wife because it got really tumultuous, uh, a friend, uh, a guy showed up, and I don't know if I should call him a friend, a guy showed up with an ounce of cocaine and said, this will make you feel better, let's do this. And so that started me on a 10-year run of um, using cocaine, crack, uh, led me, you know, I, I used other things a little bit, but cocaine was my god for a long time. And, um, and, uh, it got worse and worse. I, I came out of it a little bit, but it was just kind of white knuckling it. I, uh, got into a relationship initially that was relatively healthy, but that degraded too. And then I started using more and more, um, that relationship really got, got toxic. The relationship was toxic and, you know, I mean, how could it not be? You had an addict in it, you know? So, uh, so then I did something really bad. Um, I, I left my son who was 16 at the time. I was supposed to give him a ride to the airport. He was supposed to fly to Spain for seven weeks for an exchange program. And, uh, and I didn't show up because uh, I was in the middle of a binge, a three-day binge. And they were calling hospitals and police, uh, police stations and trying to figure out where, where I was. And he got on the plane anyway. Thank goodness. Um, he got on the plane anyway. So, uh, that was my like rock bottom. I knew I needed to change something. Um, so that was, uh, that was five years ago. That was five years ago. So I was desperate. I was, you know, I was going, I was in and out of AA at that point already, but it wasn't helping. And so I heard on Joe Rogan that there was this stuff called ayahuasca that could help me. And I'm like, I'll try anything. My mom was going to mortgage her house to send me down to Peru until my son, who knew I was having problems, obviously, researched and found this place in Florida called SoulQuest. So I said, all right, I'm in. Got, you know, my mom lent me some money. And my son is like, I'll go with you too. So he came with me. And I went and asked for some relief from my addiction and from uh, really, uh, like releasing the resentment that I had against my father, which was a daily resentment. I was really angry at him over a falling out. We had a couple of years before that. So I got all that. And the next month, month and a half, there was no, there was no compulsion to use, which was really, really helpful. It was relieved. You got back into using, went back again, went back again a third time. And uh, that third time, somebody told me, uh, you know, you need to dive headfirst into a new life. And so I did. 
And so I started volunteering at SoulQuest. And I just never left. I just kept going back and going back and going back and volunteering and volunteering and until eventually they said, okay, let's, 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 let's put you on the payroll. They were paying me $200 a week and I would show up on Thursday and I would set up all the beds. I would work like you know, somewhere between six and 10 hours on Thursday. Usually Friday was a 20 hour day. Saturday was a 20 hour day. And then Sunday I would work five, six hours or five, uh, six to eight hours. And then Monday would be cleanup. So I'd work from Thursday to Monday. I would work about 60 hours Thursday to Monday. And um, for two hundred dollars, <clears throat> so that's how I that's how I got to the medicine. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about SoulQuest because it always comes up with all my US connections. Um, SoulQuest is a very reputable uh, organization, as I as I know, and they offer um, not just the experience itself in a traditional way, but they have a lot of, um, I heard they have doctors and psychologists on site um, <clears throat> help, help you with the integration part of it and, um, and things like that. And they've been around for a long time, right? It's, it's kind of like a, quite a, uh, you know, deeply rooted organization in the US. So um, just talk to us a little bit about that experience. Like, why did you think it was uh, that you needed to stay there? Like your you know, because I also want to touch on the reason I'm asking is that I want to touch on this um, one time uh, magic potion will heal you. You just got to do one time and then come back because a lot of people who travel across Peru, you know, outside of outside their country seeking for this medicine, uh, they go and they just have this experience, come back uh, thinking that it's all done. Um, now they can heal all their traumas and and operate um, more balanced way but it doesn't work like that does it especially when the the trauma is so deep rooted and it's a uh, it's early on onset uh, like a childhood trauma right right so, it's not a magic juice it's not a magic potion um and here's the thing so first of all if you go to a weekend retreat you drink friday night saturday night or maybe friday night saturday day saturday night and you go home mm -hmm. that's definitely going to make an impact that's not what most people need to actually heal. It definitely gets them on the road to healing. It gets us on the road to being able to integrate this stuff. But without a lot of integration help and um, without other things, um, that's just one aspect. It's a very big aspect. But there's... For example, if you go down to the jungle for a couple of weeks, you don't just do ayahuasca ceremonies and they feed you and they do some yoga. They have vapor baths. They have detoxes for your liver and for your kidneys and for your lungs. And, and, um, you know, and they have plant baths and they have all kinds of different things that are meant to detoxify you and heal you and, and help you. And, and so that long period of time, that week to two weeks, um, or more. I mean, I've got two people that are on my team that are headed down to Peru to do 60 day, two dietas. One will be uh, the Noya Rao and the other one will probably be Bovinsana, but they'll do all of these different detoxifications over the course of the week. So you can get a lot more out. However, you don't dig it all out. I mean, we can, ne the work will never be done. We could drink ayahuasca every day for the next five years and still not get it all out. We have to understand that some of our traumas we have to um, we have to work with them and love them. Um, however, 
The other piece of it is, is in the Western world, we come back to the Western world. We're not in the jungle. We're being reprogrammed and re-traumatized on a daily basis based on what we see through our phone and the television, through society. And so, um, you know, we have some of that stuff creep back in. So it's going to be a two steps forward, one step back process. But, um, but uh, you know, these, these really do blow out a lot of blockages and the big ones, and it can get you to actually start to love yourself, which is a key. But we constantly have buy this car, buy this, you know, buy these jeans. Um, if you don't do this, if you don't look this way, if you don't act this way, then you don't fit in, and that's going to be bad. And, yeah, um, we are constantly exposed to the Western way of life, where we're constantly bombarded with how things should be, how should we be around people, and what things we should possess, and and how we should behave and so on and so forth. So I understand what you mean. I think Rick Doblin has, uh, he, he has great insights on this as well um, when it comes to um, having relationship with the medicine. Like this is exactly what you're talking about, I'm guessing, that you need to build a good working relationship in respect, you know, the, re the foundation of it needs to be that you need to respect these plants and also be open to working with them and treat them in in the most uh, traditional way because also um, a lot of people I know and I heard that they come to these retreats to have a trip and have a good time and have just some visions. They come for visions. But I really like the way you said that you can be drinking ayahuasca every day for five years and still nothing would um, heal. Um, this is a really powerful um, insight and I think uh, it's... A, timely for us to really talk about this um so when you uh, especially with pachamama sanctuary because you're the founder which we'll get into that in a minute how it came about but when you work with people in general um do you pick people that um are open-minded and willing to work or is it something like a you, you don't know it's just like a, almost like a, a, a gamble like you can take on people um, unexpectedly they'll really go into it commit and do the work and then you will take on another one that you think they're going to do this work and suddenly things change and shift and it becomes more um, painful and worse than it actually you know before so those are the things that I'm always um, questioning and looking into and the studies that also now out there in the world there's so much re research and studies are going on how do you feel about that in terms of building that strong relationship and also having uh, the open mind to really work with these um, medicines right mm -hmm. so as far as far as who who comes to, to to the sanctuary and who sits with this medicine uh i kind of put them into three groups you got people who are definitely coming here for the right reasons you got people who are definitely coming here for the wrong reasons. And then you've got people who um, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. A lot of them, it's obvious. Um, and so people that are coming here for the wrong reasons, um, I turn most of them away. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, I work with, work with one of them here or there because I see something in them. I hear something that they say that, that triggers me to believe that this could give them the want, the desire to be here for the right reasons, or they're just saying they're here, they're coming here for the wrong reasons because they don't want to sound uncool or whatever. 
They don't want to sound weak or they don't want to sound lame or whatever society tells them that they might be if they, you know, do this thing in this way. And, and, um, most of the time it works out, you know, I, I go on my intuition on that one. Um, and, uh, as a matter of fact, I can't really think of a single case when it didn't, but it's, it's hard to tell that because we've got, you know, hundreds of members and I'm not in touch with everybody anymore, you know, which makes me sad, but, um, you know, it is what it is. We have a, we have a big team. Uh, the people that are coming here for the right reasons, they are just attracted. And that's the makes up the majority of who come here. Then there's certain people that I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm unsure. They say they're coming here for the right reasons. I believe them. Then they don't have any visions all weekend. And I ask them and, I'm, and they're like, no, I've been following the dieta. But then I find out that they told another one of the facilitators that they smoked some cannabis on the way here, which means that they were a daily smoker, which means, of course, those medicines don't really like each other. So, um, yeah. yeah, you know, so there's two, two threads that I want to um, touch on here. One of them is how do you feel about having all this responsibility on you as an individual? Because you just said you got to some, somehow trust your intuition, go with your intuition in deciding, um, on, you know, these people, like, like you said, you come up with the, the three categories I can definitely resonate with that uh, talking to many different shamans and facilitators in this space and um, it's almost like that you guys need to be carrying this burden of you trusting your intuition knowing that we're just also human beings and we have our bad and good days and how do you feel under this weight of you is this the only way that we can work with these plant medicines that you know, I know in the traditional indigenous way, that that's why the shaman exists, right? Because the shaman uh, dedicated their whole life in this work. So they bear the responsibility and they bear the implications and responsibility or everything that can come from this. Um, how do you feel as a person when this weight is on your shoulders and you got like under pressure of making the right decision? Uh, honestly, I don't feel any, I don't feel any pressure. I don't feel any pressure. Um, I trust the medicine so much that, and I trust that, I mean, there's so many examples that I can give you about how I've been divinely guided and divinely gifted, uh, to, to, to be able to handle this. Um, like it'll blow your mind some of the miracles that have happened. Uh, so I genuinely, I, 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 I tap in and trust my intuition and I believe I trust the medicine. So it's, it's like, you know, I, I trust the medicine with my life, with my kids' lives. I trust the medicine with, for putting me on this path. I, I just know that, that this medicine is so intelligent and the spirit is so, vibrant that it would not put me in harm's way it would not create a situation that was going to be horrible for the community for itself for and you, this work yeah and, and you so, yeah and you yeah. trust that because of your own personal 
relationship with the, the medicine? Is it because you trust it so much on, on this level? It's because you've committed and you put all the work in and, and you have respect. Because this is what I'm always hearing when it comes to the indigenous way of practicing the medicine uh, as opposed to the Western way. Now, as you know, we have a lot of institutions like we have MAPS UK, we have a uh, um, lot of organizations in the US, in the Canada and, and Europe and other countries that uh, Imperial College in, in London, for example, a lot of these psychedelic assisted therapies are now undertaken and a lot of data and research is collected still you know um they are collecting all this data on the positive impacts um i'm seeing a separation here i'm seeing um truly people who are working with these medicines seeing them as an intelligent being including dennis mckenna i mean i love his lectures on applied medicines how he says um they are these intelligent beings and they're here to show us and teach us they're teachers they're, they're teaching plants and then we have the, the plants Western are talking science. to us. This is not a metaphor. Right. He says the plants are talking to us. This is not a metaphor. Yeah. Right. And then we have the Western model. We have the clinics. People undergo um, these uh, processes with a sitter and a, a clinically trained psychologist. Um, this is what we're seeing now. It's emerging. It's emerging very strongly. And uh, I see it everywhere. And I'm kind of seeing a separation and I'm really worried how are we going to merge the two together? Have the, have the scientific understanding, but also how do you maintain what you're doing? That initial, the spiritual connection with them and the respect and uh, how we see those. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so I feel so... I, okay, so when I work with people with integration, a lot of people want to focus solely on their traumas and healing their pain and getting into their emotions. And other people want to focus on their life and what they can change about their life in the 3D and what actionable things that they can do to actually make a change. Mm -hmm. And if one of them is the action person, I pull them over towards the emotional. If somebody is on the emotional side, I make them start making changes in their life. It's not one or the other. It can't be one or the other. We live in non-duality. This is They both have good and bad. But um, what we're doing uh, is, so my son is a, a, a psychology major at Boston University, pretty well-respected school. And... Uh, he's going to he's going to finish with his master's in psychology, and then he's going to go for his PhD before going to medical school, uh, and he's going to study ayahuasca through our sanctuary. By then, we'll have our licensing, and he'll be able to do it um, right through. And there's there's several good schools in Boston between Tufts and Northeastern, Harvard, BU, and um, uh, you know a few others. Uh, there's there's a lot of really good schools there. So he's going to go and pitch his his uh, PhD program to that because because there's there's there is an intersection, and to ignore one side or the other is to ignore all the things. There's people I know you you've probably come in contact with them that say, you know, I've got this problem with my skin, or I've got this virus, or I've got this parasite, or whatever, and they're trying to continually like go to shamans and, 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 and cure it with herbs and, and, and natural remedies. And they're just not getting better. 
this is where, you know, met, like, uh, you know, modern medicine, you can take one pill and get rid of that parasite. You know, this, they have a function and it's not one or the other. It's how we can, how we can combine the yeah. two work together bring them mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. right i understand so how do you feel about i'm um, not sure if you're following right now where every day i'm hearing a state or, or a place uh, legalizing these medicines i mean i'm talking about psychedelics as in psilocybin also and uh, psilocybin mostly and mdma assisted therapies and other ones like ketamine even i heard for like addiction so how do you feel about uh, where we're going because uh, and also the psychedelic renaissance is actually happening right now because we're in such an interesting times and do you also notice that with the post-pandemic era a lot of people are turning to psychedelics right now do you feel that i do i you know when you're inside of a movement it looks a lot bigger than it really is i wish that i could see it from the other side I wish that I could see it from the other side. Like I have such a bubble around me that it feels like this giant wave. And I know that it's growing. Like there's articles and things in, in major newspapers and on major, um, uh, on major, uh, you know, channels on, on television. And, um, you know, I know that it's happening. I just wonder how big it actually is at this point. I don't know. Um, but I do, I do appreciate that we have different doctors and psychologists and, and people coming at it from all kinds of different angles because the more we learn about it. So, so I, I, did a, I did an interview with somebody who was a PhD student at Harvard about, um, uh, about uh, the serotonergic system. And she was diving into the different molecules that scientists were building to see what they did because they all had this ring of six and you know the dmt molecule and the psilocybin and and then there's the mescaline molecule and there's all these different things right um but i i you know i did i did a lot of um i had a long conversation with her and she brought a lot of really good things up and to have people smart like her and smart like Rick Doblin and smart like, um, like, like all the people at Johns Hopkins, like studying all kinds of different angles, the more we can learn about it, the more of a complete picture that we can actually see. That being said, money's a thing. Money's a thing. And so uh, there's people that are concerned with the motivation behind maps uh, and people that are concerned with there's going to be some big money that's going to kind of checkmate the whole movement and say, if you don't go through us, then you got, you can't do it anymore. And yeah. what that's going to look like. And so yeah. I, again, I just, I just, I just divert to trust. I just trust the medicine. Mm -hmm. I just trust yeah. it. Yeah. This is great that you brought this up and um, I can almost feel that I can tell you I am, outside of the bubble, but I am also inside somehow, but I'm more observing from the outside of that bubble. And I can see um, a lot of work is undertaken right now in terms of uh, a lot of clinicians, doctors, PhDs coming together, scientists, neuroscientists coming together. And um, it's almost at a scary level that there is millions of bits of information out there any given moment online that people can read. Um, somehow, somehow, like 
it's it's okay because then we learn like you said the phd lady that you had a conversation with sometimes like it's good for us to learn the scientific how it's what it does to our brain and the the receptors and the everything the mechanics behind it it's good to learn but uh i'm also a little bit worried about the agenda but then um, like you said we're just going to see the unfolding uh in the next couple of years i think we'll get a more clear picture of where it's going i mean even the most respected um trauma studies doctors that i've been following cuz i my background is also in the childhood trauma initially and i followed so many doctors uh 40 years of investment in studies and even they have turned to mdma uh, or some some level of uh, psychedelic assisted therapies in their studies which is for me that's like incredible to watch because they are really old school people that came from the 80s the 70s and um really put a lot of time in the somatic experiencing of the trauma um you know and because obviously we know why because in the 50s of what happened to psychedelics and illegalized and, and all that so my um my favorite thing is that the revolution of the renaissance so a lot of people are saying that we are now in the renaissance of psychedelics and that um we don't know where it's going ideally but in 2 years um there is a lot of talks that microdosing can be like um, a very normal practice just a supplement instead of you know how people go and buy supplements uh, vitamins this could be the next thing uh, on the shelves um but uh, i'm also very concerned because i'm very much interested in the setting settings and i also know how much these psychedelics can the benefits can alter if we don't respect and if we don't use them in the right settings with the intention how do you feel about that because if it's available on the shelves and then people who have no uh, interest in the spiritual connection or no interest in all of the traditional way and they just want to optimize their health they just want to increase their immune increase and all that how do you feel that now that we don't even have a framework i know the there you know there's a lot of studies undertaking right now to create some level of framework but we're still not there and it's coming too fast um you know a lot of people are already talking about microdosing even people that had no macro experiences just yet that haven't even connected with the psychedelic so how what are your thoughts on that so i had a long discussion with um claudia schwartzplatz who uh she did her phd on the legalization and um application um and availability of psychedelics as therapies um she studied in boston she went from mit to to um to harvard i think i had a long conversation with her about that and there's a lot of different aspects when it comes to this because um you know these are powerful medicines these are powerful medicines um and just making them just blanket like making them available over the counter is not really the right answer um also not making them available and you know that that's also not the right answer so education was one of the her major points education was a huge point um educating people on what they are uh i 
she talked about having them available through like over the counter and available through different doctors. And unfortunately there's, there's, there's benefits and drawbacks. And I see, I see benefits and drawbacks all over the place when it comes to it. But when it, what it really comes down to is, is it safe for the person? Well, physically it would, you would have to choke to death on mushrooms to die from them, you know? So that's fine. Um, does it, does it create uh, schizophrenia or bipolar in people? Well, the statistics show that it's about the same in people that have used psychedelics and who haven't. It's just that they, they, they trigger the onset of the symptoms of schizophrenia. So if you're going to have schizophrenia and you take, you know, LSD at, at the age of 29 and you're not displaying symptoms, you could permanently now have symptoms. And that's a bummer because you just gave away a day, a week, a month, a year of your life to these symptoms. Now you're medicated and, you know, you're, 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 you're disconnecting, disassociating. Um, yeah. As far as microdosing goes, I, I don't feel like anybody needs a flood dose if they're going to utilize microdosing because the idea is to stay under the threshold so you don't actually experience the feelings and the, and, and the, and the effects of the medicine. So set and setting don't really apply in that case. And if you can get your dosage right and you just take it every few days, the idea is, is that it's going to get your cortisol, oxytocin, melatonin, serotonin, and, uh, and dopamine flowing properly and your synapses firing properly so that you can use your creative mind so that you can actually um, you know, experience things like joy and, and sadness in a healthy way. And so that you can actually utilize logic and emotion together, because when we have that cortisol, it locks it up around the hypothalamus. Then we're, we're, we're always in our logical mind until something triggers us. Now we're in our emotional mind and we don't want to go back to logic. Right. If it, it can keep these chemicals flowing. And I think that's a very healthy and very positive thing. But, but, I don't agree with any long-term solution that means taking something every day. I don't care if it's Lexapro in an SSRI or microdosing mushrooms or utilizing cannabis. If you have to use it every day indefinitely, something else has got to be done. That's maintenance and that's no difference. That's no different than taking an SSRI just because it's a microdose and you want to feel crunchy and granola. It doesn't mean that that's okay. It means you got to get into your traumas. It means you have some stuff deeper that you need to pull out. That's when you start talking flood doses or MDMA or ketamine or ayahuasca or ibogaine to be able to like really awaken your yourself. Um, but I think that I, I don't think that they're dangerous uh, on their own. If you're going to take microdoses in, in, in any form, as long as you're not going to be relying on them for a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I heard a conversation from one of the, the doctors that I follow, Dr. Bezel. He talked about, um, he was talking to someone about um, therapy and healing trauma because he's got the, one of the most famous books, uh, Body Keeps the Score. And he did a lot of research and study on um, how the early attachments, the onset of childhood trauma, can become the imprint of your perceived reality as an adult and then it um, really affects your decision making behavior 
and all the rest of it that we know of. And he said, um, uh, I think uh, the guy that he was talking to, he said, uh, ultimately what we want is that we want everyone to use psychedelics so that we can have a, a world that is shifted in consciousness and that we can stop the pain, the suffering and everything else. And what I love that Dr. Bezel said is that there is a saying that pain makes the go world go pain makes the world go round, like meaning hate. Also the hate makes the world go round. He said that that won't be possible even with psychedelics because the way humans are wired, they need to be in they need to be triggered in that pain in order to look for equanimity, equilibrium, you know, they need to look for that trigger, the pain, that deep, you know, rock bottom or something that could trigger something for them to seek. I found this really, really interesting. So um, one of the things in education, in, you know, psychedelics or any type of healing or, or anything that, you know, we can do to improve our wellness, I also think that I highly think that the education part is so important right now because um, he said um, with the psychedelics, like a lot of people talk about psychedelics, uh, switching off your default mechanic, you know, the default mode, and then you then go into your trauma uh, with courage, bravery. uh, You know, you'll go to the places where you wouldn't go normally with psychedelics. But uh, what he said was actually that's not it doesn't work like that psychedelics amplify the the pain the trauma because they bring it to your attention that's why it's hard to do the work in that create that becomes your creative space where you then given a choice to look in be with it and heal whatever comes up i found this to be very profound meaning that Psychedelics don't just uh, magically heal you and, and make you go through a paradigm shift. However, they amplify your original state of um, vigilance, hypervigilance and your traumatic state so that you have the you know, courage to look into it. This was really interesting. I think this, was the, this is a very perspective than what I've heard previously from many people who works with uh, psychedelics that I found there is somehow there's a truth in it because if you uh, I'm sure you see this all the time with your um, uh, people that come participants that come to your retreat that the first initial ceremony is always them going back into their childhood trauma right the very initial root traumas it's very common right it's common Uh, yes and the psychedelic really amplifies this experience more and more intense and then intensity gets so much that they they cannot handle most of the time and then that's hence why they they are somatically triggered in their body they feel they uh, they move around or like they become little toddlers trying to kind of work with this thing and what is this thing that's happening so um the reason i wanted to mention this is that a lot of people think um um in the psychedelic space where they're doing a lot of studies but one thing we're missing out is here that i also believe that we need to go back into that experience doesn't matter how painful doesn't matter how horrible 
and create maybe uh, a new perspective from being in there, right? Um, and in the future, going forward, like making it available for everyone. Okay, let's heal the world. Let's everyone should take it. It doesn't work like that, right? So I just wanted to take your thoughts on that. Um, yeah. So as far as you know, get digging into those traumas. I think that what it does is it takes away our ability to be dishonest with ourselves about what actually happened and to mm -hmm. see more than just the one angle that we were looking at it through this very narrow lens. It broadens the lens and it shows us the whole picture instead of one little tiny piece. And it shows it to us with brutal honesty. Mm -hmm. And then we can actually accept and absorb that impact of what our part in it was so we can release the resentment for other people and then promise ourselves better behavior in the future. Um, and uh, what was the next thing that you asked them? When kind of... the, the concept of that everybody should take psychedelics oh. in the world, that we should all heal every single trauma and we should shift into the fifth dimension and start transcending everything. I like the 3D. I, I like the 3D and I think a lot of people do. It's, I mean, you know, if you, if you, if you believe the Bible as a work of uh, inspirational um, teachings, I think this is heaven right now where we are today. This is heaven or it's hell if we choose to make it hell, right? Um, I think that, I think that psychedelics can help every single person to take them, but I don't think that every single person should take them. They're not right for everybody. They're not right for everybody. You know, to give my, my, my grandmother psychedelics, it would not, it would not end well. You know, she would not, she would not handle it well. I don't think that she, I don't think that it's almost like in the matrix. They say when they pull out Neo, they say, you know, normally we don't, we don't wake people up that are past a certain age, wow. you know? Um, yeah. And so I really believe that it'll help a lot of people, but I think that we need to start with like really getting it out to people between the ages of 30 and 50 and start working our way down. Mm. Um, you know, cause, cause those are the ones that we got abused. We had the parents that there's that middle segment of society of, 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 of the ages where the parents were from the early, from the early seventies to the mid eighties. Right they were the ones that were abused really badly when they were kids 20 years before that. So like the mid fifties, the mid sixties, you put on there this happy face outside of the house, but inside the house, you had this patriarchal father, this mother who was subservient and who usually was abused. And then um, the family stayed together in all this fighting and turmoil that nobody else knew. And they weren't allowed to talk about because they had to present a certain image. And there was all this societal pressure and, then they wild it out. They went to Woodstock and then they had kids and they're like, and they, and, and they don't know how, they didn't know how to be a parent because they definitely weren't going to be that way. Yeah. They weren't definitely weren't going to be the same way as their parents. And so that generation who went to Woodstock and had kids, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, I'm the kids from that generation. We, a lot of us were abused. A lot of us were abused. Um, and a lot of us that, that don't really talk about it were abused. The kids today, taking away their iPads, abusive. You know what I mean? They don't know what it's like to get your nose broken by getting a pan smashed in your face. Yeah. yeah. So it has um, changed, has changed a lot. 
the perception of abuse and trauma has changed a lot uh, since, you know. Also, um, just one last thing that I wanted to take your thoughts on um, with psychedelics and what you just told me about. Um, do you feel that a lot of people, um, because of the, the shift that we're going through, like you said, because that was the generation and now there's this new emerging generation and us also, um, I'm probably similar generation to you. And then we have these new generations that are really young and they're really kind of, um, they're so with it. They get it. You know, they understand everything with the psychedelics and the processes. They're very open to it. I see younger people are very much open to psychedelics and they're, they're much more humble with it somehow. It's almost like natural to them than um, maybe one generation before. And um, now uh, going forward um, with the psychedelics, as, as I said, um, do you feel like we also attract a lot of people who just coming for the enlightenment? Because like you said, the 3D is the, the real deal. And uh, the work is, it's almost like um, I have my favorite story of the Zen masters where imagine Zen masters, the discipline they put in to become enlightened, right? The path of enlightenment. And then after years of discipline, um, when the, the, the students ask them, so what is the secret to life or how do we enlighten? And as an answer, they just chuckle and have some tea. Uh, this is my favorite story. It's true. It all comes down to embracing the 3D, right? The simplistic life that we hear, like breathe and just mm. be here, be in the body and accept and be here. And um, so we see, we're seeing a lot of people seeking enlightenment, uh, levitation, transcendence, and uh, just want to connect to the spirit world quickly. Um, I'm observing a lot of... Um, increase in the interest in um, astrology, tarot, um, numerology, 5D, you know, all these things you probably see as well. And do you have like people coming to your retreat wanting that quick fix and enlightenment and levitation? Do you get that? And how do you deal I, with that? I do. I do. And I just nod and smile. And... <laughs> Like I know Zen masters. <laughs> well, it's 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 spiritual bypassing is what it is. All of that stuff is spiritual bypassing. You know, focusing all your energy on crystals or on, you know, the five D and all of this stuff. Like, let's let's see like what triggers you. Let's see what makes you feel terrible, and like use that to peer into your soul and, and dig out something so that you can just be happy. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you're seeking something to be happy, whether it be the stars or tarot or, or rocks, mm -hmm. then you're missing the point. You're yeah. missing the point. So uh, all of these things are lovely. I, I love I love crystals. I, I've, I've got them, but they're, they're because they're pretty rocks. I think they're pretty, and I think they're I think they're awesome. I like them. You know, mm -hmm. um, I pull a card every, every uh, you know every once in a while because I enjoy it because I think it's fun. Um, but yeah. uh, you know, to get focused on like this like transcendence and the 5d and and it, that's to me that's you're running away from heaven you're yeah. running away from heaven that stuff will come you know yeah. this uh you know the sun doesn't go down it just spins around the you know we, we just it's just an illusion you know the sun doesn't go down we get to we get to transcend when it's our time. So let's enjoy the grass and the air and the snow and, and connection with other human beings. 
mm-hmm. here in the 3D. That's this is where it's all at, right? This is where the good stuff is. The connections, the meaningful <laughs> conversations like this, and mm-hmm. and also seeing psychedelics as a tool, but not means to levitation or enlightenment or because um I think one of the biggest um fear that people have that I observe is the fear of being stuck in this body and uh, doesn't matter how much we seek we're not going to get the answers we're not going to find out what happens after death we're just going to have to live and be accept and be happy here within these bodies that we've given and um, when they come to your uh, retreat like some of these participants and they talk about uh, their experiences as also like we call it the messiah complex where they seriously believe that they are not human beings they're from another planet and they reincarnated in some this body and they have a mission when they go into that how do you handle those kind of situations as well that would be really interesting to observe um honestly uh i haven't really had a lot of people come here for that um and um I mean, I'm sure it'll come. Honestly, I was down in Soul Quest. There wasn't a lot of people. That's those. Those they don't generally gravitate towards uh, this medicine. Interestingly yeah. enough, they, I, I see them in the community, but not not around med, not around at least our retreats. And I did not see them at Soul Quest very much either. You know, there was one, um, and that was a very interesting experience. Uh, um, you know, she's wonderful, but. Um, a little bit of magical thinking, a little bit of magical thinking, I think, you know, and that's okay. Like life's magic, but, um, yeah. but yeah, no, it doesn't, it doesn't really occur. Okay. It doesn't really occur. occur. All right. All right. I, so think, that, yeah. I think that it's because there's a little bit of fear there, you know, mm. that some of these, some of these, I think, I think it's that ego kind of protecting. I think the ego keeps people away from the medicine when they're not ready to have the, foundations that they built a whole bunch of their life on be shattered yeah yeah of course um somehow doesn't matter how asleep the person you know in terms of asleep as a as a uh, term to say um not so conscious of what they're doing in in terms of like um spiritual bypassing somehow they unconsciously within them they know they know that they don't go there right uh, it's just kind of something is protecting them and they're in this bubble. Um, and also, and then there is this other, a lot of experiences that I have with people in positive psychology, affirmations, keep it positive, And also, which is great, but when it comes to really digging into that trauma and dealing with this pain and, and working with it, it doesn't work so well when you're overly positively, uh, you know, positive. <laughs> No, no. If somebody does something that makes you unhappy, you saying, "Well, I'm just going to wish them love and light," is avoiding that pain point, and that pain point is where the opening of the soul happens, where you can look inside and see what is this. And if you ignore it and you avoid it, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, yeah. This is beautiful. Okay, thank you so much. We're going to wrap this conversation up, but before we go. Let's talk about your Pachamama Sanctuary, your plans for the future, what's happening in your world and what's next for you. Um, and also how can people find you and how can people connect with you? I'm sure we're going to be sharing a lot of links to your 
um, you know, website and everything. But just, just so that listeners can listen from you, what's next for you? Sure. So uh, to just go to back to uh, at the end where I started working and showing up and diving headfirst into a new way of life at, at SoulQuest, I was there for um, a little less than a year. And I was uh, sitting in and, and helping in ceremonies for a while. Then, um, then, I, then I left there. Um, actually, I didn't leave. They asked me to leave because I, that was my last relapse. And they found out about it. And they said, you got to go. And I said, okay. Um, so I went back to my life. And I was you know, doing things. And somebody called me and says, hey, can you help me organize some retreats in New England? I resisted. And I said, okay, fine. I'll try one. Our first one was uh, in this very room, actually, with uh, five people that paid, and uh, there were seven of us on the mat. Uh, our mats were actually like couch cushions with like sheets wrapped around them, and it was so ghetto, um, but it was beautiful too. Uh, and then, um, you know, one thing led to another, led to bigger ceremonies, led to me flying back, flying back and forth from Florida, led to me moving here to this to this facility uh in southern new hampshire and then eventually what ended up happening was we outgrew this place and so through a whole series of miracles we ended up being able to purchase a property not far from here now this is somebody who two years ago relapsed his last time a year before that i was like in trap houses you know using hard drugs with unsavory people my for after a decade of that, my credit was demolished. Um, I really didn't have that much money because working with Pachamama, I don't take a salary. I don't take any money. I, I since the beginning, I've took about taken about twelve hundred bucks. It's because I know that in the future it'll eventually um, support me. But uh, as of right now, I don't. I don't earn anything. So um, no money, terrible credit all of a sudden this property just lands in my lap and I'm like, yeah, well, this is a perfect property, you know, and it's a perfect property. Uh, but how am I going to get it financed? The very next day, somebody shows up and says, well, if you want some help, I'm a commercial real estate investor broker. I can find you the money. It's no problem. And, uh, and so we're moving into this place in two weeks, a week and a half, actually. Um, it's 13,000 square feet. It's on 31 acres, um, 16 bedrooms, uh, 10 bathrooms. And it used to be a wedding venue. And what this space is, is it's not for Derek and it's not, it's not mine. What it is, is it's community space. So yes, we're going to have retreats there. Yes, I'm going to live there. But the people in the community, they have a lot of gifts. They have gifts from art to yoga, to meditation, to breath work to music, to landscaping, to whatever. And so the space is going to be open uh, in, in varying degrees for different people to be able to come and share their gifts with the rest of the community. Because our priorities, number one, are community. Number two is integration. Number three is the medicine, right? Now, the medicine brings us together. It unblocks stuff. But without integration, it's just some experience. Yeah. And the community is the foundation, the bedrock on which integration lays on how we communicate with each other, how we learn to communicate with people in a positive way, how we actually learn empathy and compassion for brothers and sisters that we just went through this unbelievable experience with. It was rough and difficult and beautiful and horrible and all at the same time. So the community space 
is going to eventually we'll have just open hours for people to come and hang out and meet up. It can be a meetup location. Um, yeah, I intend something near and dear to my heart is to open a free music school for, for children in the area that can't afford it. Um, and uh, my highest job is to create a blank canvas as big as possible so that the people in the community can come and bring their paints and decide what it's going to look like because I get to just watch it unfold and help people create things like get them the, the, the support and the resources. And then they get to make this community what it is because I'm not the community. This isn't about Derek. You know, I'm just, I'm just the guy who's creating this blank canvas for the community to come together and be beautiful. And that's amazing. Wow. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yes, I have seen your, um, the ache, the, the place that you're going into soon. Uh, it, it looks dream. It's a dream, honestly, and I'm so happy that this is unfolding in the way that it is. And do you think that communities are the only thing going forward that's going to hold us together in this post-pandemic, this um, uncertain times, these interesting wild times that we're in now? Do you think we are finally getting it that the community is where it's all at, that we need to work towards, you know, this type of living. Yeah. I think that it's a beautiful thing that's flourishing right now because of what's going on, people helping other people and people coming together in a strong way. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that's going to save us, that's going to save us as a society is number one is love and kindness. And number two, the unbelievable resilience of the human spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So any last words for our listeners? Um, really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I'm sure we're going to have a second part, maybe in the future with your sure. projects uh, going forward. So any last words from you for our listeners? Um, if, you need, if you need help, if you need to talk to somebody, this is what I, that's my favorite thing to do. You can call me. My number will be around. You can just pick up the phone and call me. You can message me on Facebook. Um, you, know, you don't have to have come or anything like that. If you need some help, call me. I have a lot of connections. I have a big network, um, but I can be here and listen. Beautiful. I think that's what we need going forward as human beings. We need to be connected on the soul level be heard, be seen, uh, valued. And uh, yeah, this is beautiful. Thank you so much, Derek. Really enjoyed Thank this you. and wishing you all the best going forward. And we'll be in touch very soon. Thanks so much, Susan. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks everyone for being here and I will see you guys on the next one. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Psychedelic Conversations podcast is designed to educate, inform and expand awareness. For more information, please head over to psychedelicconversations.com. You can also share with your friends or leave a review so that we can reach more people. You can also join us in our private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This show is for information purposes only and it is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.